Yeah, but I have to give Karen sincere apologies for not being here because she's not very well. So I'm going to try and present the paper on her behalf. Sorry, I interrupted yeah, you. Yeah, I'm just finishing the title, so you can Yeah, so um, I'm going to try and hopefully do justice to what are predominantly Karen's like, theoretical ideas. Because we're, we're involved in a, in a joint project together about lifestyle migration in East Asia, and Karen and I have both done uh, research in Thailand and Malaysia. Um, and this paper is, is really just, it's not presenting any results, unfortunately, because we're still kind of ongoing with the analysis. Uh, but it's, it's really just to, to do three things. So first, I'll, I'll explain the context of the project and, and what we've been doing, um, and then outline Karen's conceptualization of what she calls practice stories as a theoretical framework for studying migration. And then I'll talk a bit about the methods that we've employed to do this and the idea of flexible ethnography and whether or not, um, and open up a conversation really as whether we think this is a viable way of doing research um, under kind of budget and time constraints. <laughs> okay, so just to draw on the, the themes of the conference then. We want to make clear that um, it's our goal to analyse migration patterns and processes to include um, not only the narrow focus on origin and destination, but um, to include the examination of historical, social and cultural conditions of movement alongside institutional frameworks and interactions, as well as the individual agencies and everyday practices of migrants. So we argue that the structural and agental processes are always and continually interlinked through these practices of daily life. And so therefore, um, this is how Karen's come up with the idea of telling um, what she calls practice stories of lifestyle migration in Thailand and Malaysia. And as a consequence, a, a methodological challenge of that is to how we would, what, what kind of methods we would engage with. Um, and so we are using flexible approaches to ethnography. So just to talk a bit about the project, um, it's an ESRC bilateral um, project with Hong Kong University and it's a comparative study of new mobility patterns in East Asia. Now as I said, Karen and I are looking at Thailand and Malaysia and predominantly British migration to those locations um, and our colleague at Hong Kong University is looking at Hong Kong Chinese migrations back to China which um, is predominantly a, a retirement style migration. Um, and the project team is Karen and myself, Dr. Maggie Lee from Hong Kong University, and also Professor Rob Stones in, in an advisory capacity from the University of Western Sydney. And I'll draw on some of his theoretical ideas in, um, in a, a bit later on. But overall, then, the aim is really to explore um, the every, sort of everyday understandings of the motivations, experiences, and outcome of lifestyle migration as a contemporary form of mobility. But what is lifestyle migration? Um, well, this is, again, something Karen O'Reilly has conceptualised um, about the spatial mobility undertaken more for quality of life reasons than for economic enhancement of, and security. Um, so lifestyle migrants would typically include things like international retirement migrants, second homeowners, uh, counter-urbanites and residential tourists. Um, and increasingly, um, much of the scholarship, I should say, is is um, on that sort of migration um, looks to destinations sort of intra-European migration north to south Europe like on the Mediterranean coast like Spain and, and France um, but increasingly there's diverse destinations being looked at and, um, including Panama, Morocco, Malaysia and Thailand for example. Um, 
and it's off to counter to, to traditional labour market flows. And lifestyle migrants um, are often what we might call elite or privileged um, actors in terms of the migration. They kind of exert more agency and have potentially more choice over these destinations. Um, and just finally, we're, we're um, looking at particularly East Asia because this is a context that's little understood in terms of lifestyle migration up to now. Okay, just to give you an idea generally of the research questions that we're exploring, the first one again is, is, I said, the motivations, the experiences and outcomes. So how is lifestyle migration enabled, constrained and motivated? So for example, what does the good life mean in these East Asian contexts? What are the roles of globalisation and flexible citizenship in these different states? Um, Secondly, what's the character of lives after migration? So what kind of experiences do people have? What are the networks that are established? And what are the effects or the impacts on the locales that pe these people are moving to? Um, do the consumption demands of migrants affect the structure of the locality? What is the impact on health provision and property prices, for example? And I should say that we've been quite place-based in our approach to this and, and, and done sort of case study areas. So Karen went to Penang and I went to Hua Hin, which is a sort of beach resort coastal town on the on the Gulf of Thailand. So we were quite clear to look at the actual localities and the, the, the local context in that. Okay, so just to talk then a bit more theoretically about what practice stories are. Um, so this is something that Karen has formulated based um, on sort of underpinned by a theoretical framework around structuration theory, which I'll talk a bit more about a bit very briefly, hopefully. <laughs> um, but practice stories um, explain a phenomenon like lifestyle migration by describing how it develops over time as norms, rules and organisational arrangements are acted on and adapted by individuals as part of their daily lives in the context of their communities, groups, networks and families. So we can see here there's an emphasis on the social context, context as being quite important, drawing, drawing attention to what um, she calls a socio-structural terrain within which these practices um, of any individual or collective is enacted. Um, so this structural terrain is like a configuration that will include different constraints and opportunities. It will include different inequalities and hierarchies. Um, um, and it will also continually exert influence over the internal lives of people within it. So practice stories direct us to investigate ongoing processes and also the context that make them possible. So such as the initial decision to migrate and then also to follow these narratives through as the, these initial practices then go on to shape general patterns, arrangements, rules, norms and other structures in the destination locales. So in doing so they put people's actions in the context of their historical and in contemporary conditions. So as I said, uh, practice stories is grounded in, in structuration theory or practice theory and I'm not going to go into too much detail here and just... Um, hopefully um, assume a kind of knowledge about the, the, the debates around the agency structured dualism that underpins this idea and again uh, the kind of increasing consensus that's been reached in sociology about the interaction of structure and agency and, and Giddens' approach to structurating theory where he talks about a duality of structure and agency. So when individual actors do have degrees of autonomy to resist but they operate within certain um, limitations that social structures um, put upon them. Um, but the, another part of Giddens' structuration theory that Karen draws on is this idea of the knowledgeability of actors. And so um, Giddens, he emphasises that 
the knowledgeability actors have of their structural conditions of action and the way that they skillfully draw on this when they engage in, in particular practices. So this is the sort of kind of foundation of Karen's idea of practice stories. But she also draws on Rob Stones, who's another co-investigator of the project, who has developed Giddens' idea of structuration and talks about strong structuration theory. I'm not an expert on this particular theory, but um, just to pick out some of the aspects that Karen's using when she talks about uh, practice stories. Um, Rob Stones um, talks about the... the uh, Giddens uh, writing about situational knowledge, this kind of knowledgeability that actors have about the terrain of action, so this, this structural terrain that faces them at a given time. So he, he, combine, he combines this with a more developed or nuanced attention to the nature of this structural terrain, its various networks, relationships and hierarchies, different resource distributions within that terrain. So he talks about that as external structures, but he also almost goes back to um, dualism as a, a sort of heuristic device to talk about external and internal structures. Um, and the internal structures are those within the agent, the kind of internalised um, structures, internal world of actors who inhabit the world. So he kind of almost sort of, yeah, re reinforces this dualism to, to try and to try and study, and it's almost like a ball of wool. We, we have to, we understand it as a ball of wool, but we have to unravel it to understand its constituent parts before we put it back together. <laughs> that was Karen's analogy. Um, but he also draws on Bourdieu and Bourdieu's idea of habitus, and to explore how situational knowledge and habitus combine dynamically to produce action. So these are kind of the quite complex theoretical um, things that Karen's picking out when she talks about practice stories. But she also makes the important methodological point that while it would be possible to employ any one concept from strong structuration um, as a guide to empirical research, practice stories will inevitably be larger than this and so will combine the concepts from strong structuration to varying degrees and in larger or smaller doses depending on the type of story being investigated. So she draws also on things um, on um, the idea of communities as practice and sees almost like the external structures as communities of practice, referring to any social group or cultural community that comes together and has to work out how to get on together. And it, this is quite useful, I think, in terms of talking about a practice story of settlement, the point at which lifestyle migra migrants begin the process of finding a way to live in their new surroundings, but with a habitus brought from elsewhere. So by observing social life through this community of practice, it's possible to think through um, the dynamic between structural fields, including things like formal and informal rules, regulations, laws and policies on the one hand, and also individual wills and choices on the other. Um, so it's within these communities of practice that individuals will learn the rules of the game and be able to negotiate or, un or decide how much they stick to them or not. Um, so that's a very brief overview of the theoretical underpinnings of practice stories. So just to talk a bit more about how then in practice um, we might think about doing practice stories. And this is where the idea of ethnography comes in. So ethnography um, pays attention to both wider structures and the thoughts and feelings of individuals um, within the context of action. And so therefore we feel it's an ideal approach to research practice. 
um, because it enables us to specify the characteristics of a structural context of action. It also enables us to think about human perceptions and knowledgeability in relation to this, um, and to think about previous influences on the formation of those perspectives, um, like the habitus, and also to construct practice stories in situ and over time. So in terms of our research and how we've used ethnography then, part of the goal of our research was to understand what are these wider upper level external structures that frame and shape lifestyle migration. Uh, things like what's the historical relationship between Thailand, Malaysia and the UK, the relevant constraints and opportunities in the shape of policies and trends. And one of the methods that we employed to find this out is and a kind of obvious method, reviewing documents, statistical, uh, theoretical and empirical academic studies, but also interviews with experts, people like embassy staff and uh, people working in kind of meso-level institutions in the field. Um, another goal of our research was to understand the habitus and dispositions of the migrants themselves, so the internalised structures that shape how they behave and shaped and that in turn shaped by the experiences of having migrated. And to understand these new communities of practice within which migrants acted, made decisions and constantly shaped actions and desires. So you can see there's all these different scales with which we're trying to understand. And the methods that we've employed, kind of a, a combination of methods really to, to do this. And so we, d we did an online survey uh, with participants from Thailand and Malaysia. We've got about 112 responses about that. Um, and from this, we, we gauge their demographic information, their migration histories, social lives, social networks, the use of social media and technology. But we also did in-depth interviews with migrants. And again, this was a very flexible and creative approach to doing interviews because we had such resource limitations, we were only able to spend three to four weeks in the, in the field. So in terms of traditional ethnography, this is nowhere near immersing yourself in a context, in an anthropological sense. But because of these limitations, and the, we were keen to engage with the principles of ethnography, we did face-to-face -face interviews when we were there and supplemented them with Skype interviews, telephone interviews, email interviews and found that actually quite a successful method. But we also did participant observation in place virtually through online forums and through content analysis of like expatriate magazines and stuff. So just to conclude, um, so I've presented a very quick and diverse array of methods that we've, we've employed here as sort of what we might call ethnographically inform, informed methods and using a very flexible approach to try and achieve what Clifford Marcus calls um, both living inside a culture and acquiring, acquiring a rich, critically developed concept for interpretation. And the project is underpinned by a theoretical framework which is informed by a strong structuration theory with the goal to tell practice stories. And so that is to describe some of the processes involved in lifestyle migration in East Asia in such a way as to respect the creative and processual nature of social life and to reveal the structuration processes involved as social life unfolds. And of course I'll be happy to answer any, any questions people might have. I'm much more up um, informed about the actual data collection and things like that, so I can tell you a bit more about some of the early findings if you're interested, but thank you very much. Thank you.